So I'm a little embarrassed to share this with you, but um, I'm not the guy who, if there's ever anything involving blood or like if you were wounded or whatever, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not your guy. Okay. And, and some of you are different than that. Like my wife, she like would watch those surgeries on TV and things and just think that's great. Well, when we uh, were, I'm embarrassed is that on our third child, when it, um, when she was born, she was born healthy, was beautiful, Capri, she was such a gift and we're celebrating her life. And then there's this moment when the surgeon or the, uh, the, the doctor, after she was born, hands a pair of surgical sur- scissors to the father, me, and um, invites me to cut the umbilical cord. Now, I confess, I didn't prepare this at all, but my response back was, I'm good. <laughs> good, go ahead, you do. And uh, thankfully, there was a, a precious mother-in-law that was there to sweep it, and so her umbilical cord was cut, for those of you who'd be worried. But uh, that's really not my thing. And so uh, several years later, my wife and I had the privilege of going to a country where there is direct opposition for the gospel. It is extremely dangerous to be associated as a Christ follower with Christians and as a Christ follower to be a missionary in this country. Can't even name it because of the way that our services work and how public they are. But we were there at a hospital that had been started by Christians as an, a way of advancing the gospel, but also to minister to the needs of this country. This hospital is so successful at ministering to young babies and to young families that ultimately it has changed the infant mortality rate for the country. It's amazing. And they're doing such a good work there. And it was just one of those times where walking around and I just feel so honored to be around this and our missionary hosts that, that were walking us around were just, it was just amazing. We, we saw a baby that was under a pound that because of their care was going to survive. It was amazing. But when we made it to the hospital wing, I mean the surgery wing, um, my, um, my wife and I were invited to go into a surgery. So you guys know how I responded, right? I'm good, right? You guys go ahead. You do what you're going to do. And Allie went in and I think it took a little long and I started to get bored. And so I went into the surgery room and they were operating on an infant. It was amazing what they were doing. And then um, afterwards I noticed that I recognized the surgeon and I had no idea. I hadn't spoken to this man for over 10 years. Turns out that he and I were seminary students at the same time when we were in Texas. And so I see him and we ended up connecting afterwards to to find out that he and his family had moved to this country, um, that he had three beautiful kids and the story was amazing. But, But what's fascinating for me about his story is that I'm guessing for him, when he, the way he tells it, that there was a day as a young man that he became a believer in Christ. He, he said this statement that Isaiah says, here I am, send me, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And the first step for him was that he felt like God was calling him to become a doctor. And so he studied to become a medical doctor. And then from there, there was the pediatric surgeon specialty that he ended up doing more schooling for. By the time I knew him, it was in seminary in Texas that he felt like God had called him to go to seminary. Can you imagine? So he's surgeon now, and now he's going to go to seminary and study God's word. And then there would be these paths of steps of decisions. Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want to lead us? That, that ultimately leads them to this country where he's going to raise his family, not driving the kind of car that most surgeons in America drive. Not, he, he lives in a yurt, literally a kind of a sprung structure where um, his, his life daily is at risk because of his faith and because of the convictions that he has. 
And, and you look at his story, and when I'm interacting with him, for one, I'm like in awe, right? Because I, I'm so grateful for people like him. But for two, what I recognize is that when it came to his life, he decided at one point that he was just going to start taking God at his word, that he was going to take life one step at a time in obedience. And what it culminated in was that God is going to use him and is using him today to bring himself glory and honor. You and I have a choice in our life. And that choice, it, we, we often make it kind of grandiose, right? What's God's will for my life? I want to challenge you this morning that, that really the thing we ought to be interested in is what's God's will for my day, right? What's God's will for this hour? What is he asking of me to do? And I think for many of us, we, we expect that there's going to be this day when God speaks to us through the burning bush, the audible voice, and that he tells us exactly what we're going to do. And he gives us the vision of the future. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience as a pastor, in my life, in my own process of obedience, that it's been a whole lot more like, hey, this is what I want you to do today, right? This is what I'm asking of you. And I'm going to allow you to have the privilege to obey me. What's beautiful about my friend in Africa is he doesn't stand back there and go, how did I get myself into this mess? But instead, what he does is he articulates what a privilege to be able to be used by the God of the universe. And if you have your Bible, say, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. And I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 11 in its entirety in chapter 12. Lots of verses today, but we're going to skim over them. But what we're going to see is the power that comes from an individual that chooses to say, God, I'm in. Like, whatever you want to do, I'm going to trust you. And what we're going to see are individuals named specifically, both with their job title and also by name. We're going to see them described as being people who are worthy of honor, because of the fact that they chose to obey the Lord's leading. And this leadership from God is ultimately going to lead them to rest in God. That, that when we talk about the word restoration, as we've been going through Nehemiah, obviously the walls are being rebuilt, right? Obviously now we're going to see that the city needs repopulated by people that are willing to obey the Lord. Last week, we saw that they signed on the bottom line, literally listing their names. I'm going to take sin seriously in my life. I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to follow his leadership. And what we're going to see in the text today is that some are going to be given that privilege. And you know what's beautiful about it? Is they see it as a privilege to take the next right steps in their lives. And so this morning, if you want to get a central point in the text, it's that, is that as we study these two chapters, as we, we remind ourselves of the restoration of God, that God is looking for men and women who are willing to obey his leadership in their lives. And, and after the first service, I had a few people come up and say, so does this mean that we have to go overseas? No, you, you know that, that actually, like our guest speakers, it's great. The guest speakers who are going to come and share their, their testimony of obedience to God is that the Honeycuts, we went to the part in Africa where they thought that God was calling them. They went through missionary training. They, they, they had felt a calling when they were younger in their life. And they were heading towards Burkina Faso where they were going to serve the Lord and disciple people there. In fact, when we were there, we got to meet people who said, hey, do you know the Honeycuts? They're these amazing people. But what happened in their story is that they had some life events in their family 
that ultimately meant that they were going to adjust their ministry from Burkina Faso to Cleveland, Ohio. And God's using them to reach refugees, to, to lead leaders, to invest in the Envision ministry nationally, the domestic sites here. And, and so it's, for some of us, we, we think of this great gesture, this big one, this massive commitment. And what I want to remind you of, and I think we're going to see this in God's word today, is that this is step-by-step -step daily obedience to a God that has a plan that he's working out. You've heard me say this a hundred times, but he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the, the answer to the question is, this might mean that you stay in your job and you do it in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. It might mean that you stay in the setting that you're in, but you say, Lord, I'm willing. And that's really the focus this morning is individuals. We're going to literally see the word volunteer in the Hebrew text. And it's saying like, I'm in. What's interesting about it is that not everybody who raised their hands and said they were in were going to be asked to move. So last week, as we looked at the text, we saw story after story, name after name of individuals who said, I'm in. I'm, I'm willing to take sin seriously in my life. I'm willing to give God my best. I'm going to obey his leadership. If you have your Bibles, and we're going to stick in Nehemiah chapter 11, but I'd like to ask you, put your finger in there and flip back to Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. This is the context of what we're studying today. It says this, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So we've rebuilt the walls. Remember the process has been beautiful, the restoration of the walls in record time. And now we have to fill those walls with people. It says in verse five, then my God put into my heart, this is Nehemiah's heart, to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it. And then yeah, you remember, we, we've talked about the details, lists and names and people and titles. And, and so now we come to chapter 11. So turn back over with me to chapter 11 and we'll pick up in verse one. It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. So, so what's happening here is that individuals, there's leaders that have already made it in, in Jerusalem. There's some, some people in the church that had already established their responsibilities there. There were some people that were commuting to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, I'm sorry, from Israel to here. Now, finally, there's gonna be a group of people, all of them who say, I'm in, and about one in 10 is going to be asked through this process of casting lots, asked to take this responsibility and privilege to walk in what God wants to do with them. As I mentioned before, God's just looking for a few good men and women who are willing to follow his lead. And what God expects of us is that when he leads, that we follow him. God expects that of us. You know, we're rarely given the details of the plan. What we're asked to do is to obey the fact that he's got a plan and to sacrificially take each step according to his will. It's funny to me to think of these other times in scripture where the Lord Jesus reminds us of the value of his work in our lives. You guys maybe memorize this like I did as a kid, this Psalm that says that his word is a lamp unto my feet 
and a light unto my path. I've always thought that there's something powerful about that. And I think of the flashlight that's here, right? That I, this is what I get to see. I get to see what's right in front of me. What I don't get to see is the rest of the story, right? I get to see what's right in front of me. And his word helps me to make daily next right choices. I like the second passage, the Lord Jesus, when he calls his disciples, he says, hey guys, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What he's saying is, I, I got gotcha. you but you're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind and we're going to go through a journey. Do you notice he didn't tell them everything that was going to happen in the future, right? He didn't give them the 10 step plan. Some of you in this room like the 10 step plan, right? You like the 10 year plan. You like the, the future to be panned out. And we're going to see if we're, we're tracking on what is God's will for our life. Often he says, trust me, we got a destination. I'm going to get you there, but it's going to take you following me and taking daily steps of obedience. One of my favorite books is written by Kyle Eidelman, and the title is Not a Fan. And he uses a lot of sports illustrations in there, but basically says that it's our natural tendency, I think, as Christ followers to, to be like the person who sits in the stands at a game and cheers for their team, but has no real skin in the game, right? Like you get angry when your team loses. You're, you're frustrated because you're associated. You buy the jersey. You're, you're in, but you're really not on the field. And this is what he says in his book. He says, he says that, that it, is, it is different when we think about our faith, that God wants more than just us going, yeah, I'm associated with Christ, but he really wants us to be people who are willing to take the steps of obedience that he's called us. He says this in his book. He says, people want to be close enough to Jesus to get all of the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. That's convicting for me. Because we, we like to associate with Christ, but when it gets expensive, then we go, ah, maybe that's somebody else's responsibility. I, I hesitate to use the missionary example because I think for many people, they say, oh, I'm afraid that God would call me to do something radical like that. My guess for most of you in this room is that God's calling is not going to be this radical calling. Maybe it will be. And I pray, by the way, that God would send more people from Hope Church, that, that we're a sending church of people who are all in and say, let's go. But, but I'm guessing that the calling that God's placing on us for many of us is, is Brunswick, it's Medina, it's, it's Middleburg Heights, it's Cleveland, it's this community that's around us and us being faithful in the context of those places. You know, God's fulfilling his promises to his people. And we see this in Nehemiah chapter 11. But what we accept is that it's going to require his, these people to accept the gift from God. First Chronicles 28.8 told us that this day was going to come. It says, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God Observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God. We saw that recorded last week that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. This is a part of that. In, a, in chapter 11, verse 1, it describes Jerusalem as the holy city. It's set apart. It's precious to God. You know, we, we see in the text elsewhere in verse 30 in chapter 11 that the people were camping. And what we're going to hear now is that they're given a home. Now, I, I like to camp. I really enjoy backpacking, backcountry, carry all the things that you have with you. But I'll tell you, after backpacking is wonderful. It's not like going to an all-inclusive resort where you come home and there's a little bit of a letdown. 
after you've been camping in rustic camping, you come back and you're like, oh, I love warm showers, right? You know, I love my fireplace. I love the privilege of being able to go to the refrigerator, right? That you appreciate that you were a sojourner before, but now you have a home. And they're no longer camping in Israel, but now they're able to establish a new home in Jerusalem. This is a beautiful fulfillment of Jeremiah 31:40. It's dependent on their ongoing understanding of re- repentance and sacrificial worship that God deserves. When individuals made this commitment, it's important for us to understand what they were committing to. So this house represents, there's a, there's a version of this in a kibbutz in, in Israel. You can go check it out. But houses in those days were generally like a shed in my backyard. They weren't very big. They were flat on the roof. They, uh, they were single family dwellings. But then if you decided to get married as a son, you would go into a betrothal time period where what you would do is to go back to your home of your father and you would add another room or building onto your parents' house. So as you can imagine in Israel, this had already happened. Generations had already taken their, their stake. They had built their homes. They had, had gathered together in their communities. There was safety in that. And now all of them are saying one in 10 were willing to make this move out of obedience to God. It came at a cost. This move from this simple world to now something that's going to look more like a city, that there's going to be layers of people on top of each other. And yes, that's going to become some of the most precious land in the world over time. But right now it represented a risk. It represented a gift that they weren't sure that they wanted to receive But when they did so, God was willing to bless them through the process. I'm not sure what God's asking of you. I don't know your story completely. For some of you, maybe it's the act of obedience that he's asking you to follow the Lord in baptism. For some of you, I'm going to suppose that we've talked a lot about relationships here. Maybe there's the phone call that you need to make that you haven't been doing. For others of you, I love this story of my friend Dan who had to go through a process of education and training, equipping that God had asked him to do. But, but I'm guessing that, that anything like this, any move like this, we're painfully aware of the cost and not always aware of the fact that this is what God has said when he says he wants us to obey him. Well, in, in his scripture, he says that we ought to take up our cross daily and follow him. This means that we're choosing to lay down our agenda and to embrace his agenda in our lives. I think this is what it means for us to be people who are open-handed with our lives. And I think we, we allow ourselves to accept that restoration happens when and only when we are all in. I want you to think about the word restoration. That's what we've called this whole series through Nehemiah. Then I want you to break it down. Think of it as rest in the Lord. That you're ultimately saying, I'm going to engage in the restoration of God and I'm going to trust that he's the one who's at work in my life. I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to be restored because of the fact that I've entrusted my circumstances into his care. I believe that God is looking for individuals that are willing to wholeheartedly join him in what he's doing. This begins with an initial step of obedience. I love the story of Isaiah, the prophet, that he is in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seeing God being worshiped in heaven. And and there's this beautiful image of him being cleansed 
And then after that, he, he's like the, the, the person who, some of you own businesses, who, who's a satisfied customer that they're so thankful. They share every, with everybody. Hey, this is what happened. I'm, I'm in. I, that place is great. You got to go check it out. He says this. He says, here I am, God. Send me. And I think this is the natural, logical response to a person who's experienced the grace of God, that's experienced his loving kindness, that has experienced the glorious God of grace, that he's done this for me. I want to share it. I want to go. I'm in. Here am I. Send me. So after the initial step of obedience, this often requires ongoing following the Lord and his leadership in our lives. I think this is one of the other myths that is surrounding the obedience of God is that my friend Dan, there was a day for him when he had to make this big decision. All right, I'm going to go to school, then I'm going to go to another school. And I'm going to, and every step along the way, there have been uh, there have been mandated evacuations from the country that he's in that they have chosen not to follow through with. Are you going to tell me that that's not a tough decision when you're raising your kids in another country? But there's a conviction for them as they've gone through this that they've said, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust your will to be done in our lives. For, for some of us, we're making this too grandiose, and I would just want to draw it back down to what we really see in the text, is that in chapter 11, really, these people were going to do a ministry of presence. They had done a lot of the work. Now they're just going to be, and they're going to be exactly where God wants them to be. And for some of us, we need to be reminded of that, that being where God wants us to be may be exactly what he wants to do in our lives. I love the way Warren Wearsby puts it. He says, never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you to be. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic ministry, but simply being there is a ministry. The men and women and children who helped to populate the city of Jerusalem were serving God their nation, and a future generations by their step of faith. I love that this was a family affair again, that this represented change for not just the fathers, but the mothers and the kids. And this is, as for a man, my household, we will serve the Lord. We're all in. We're going to do this together. And I, I love that description that, that he's saying sometimes for some of us, it's just attending. It's being present. It's choosing to say, I'm in for this. Uh, one commentator that I love said that some of these verses that we're studying today is kind of unreadable. And the reason why is that there's just hard names and there's descriptions of, and you kind of read these two chapters and you're kind of like, all right, what's in this? What's in this? But I want to make two observations that we see from chapter 11 and the first portion of chapter 12. And that is as he describes the individual's gifting, that it's important for us to understand that God is aware of your gifting and he's glorified in your gifting. That God, your gifting, when you turn it over to God, it makes you valuable to him. The second observation that I see from this is every labor that is done in love is remembered by God. It's never forgotten, regardless of who gets the public credit for it. We know the name Nehemiah. We know the other names of some of the prophets that were public and the leaders and the people who are driving this thing. We don't remember these people's names that are here, but, but God does. He took the time in his word to record them, their titles, their job description, their family names, because it's precious to them. For some of us, we need to remember the fact that God doesn't just focus in on the leaders, those who are heralded above all, 
but he focuses in on the precious gift of followers. There's a, a lost art in our society today, and that's the art of followership. In Hebrews chapter 11, or 13, 17, it talks about those who we minister under, that we ought to make their ministry a joy. And I, and I think that there's this, this part of us that accepts most of our life, every person in this room is under authority, and most of our life is going to be spent being led by other people. We're going to have to take orders. We're going to have to respect people who are over us. And, and part of that process is deeply glorifying to God if we do it the right way. I love the story of Dwight Eisenhower that you may not know this about him. You know him as a general. You know him as a, as a person who was a key leader in the history of America. But what you might not know is that for 26 years of service, he was a junior staff officer, that he was faithful in his job. He just did what he did. He, he wasn't massively promoted in his role. And then in a two-year time period, around the time of war, he ended up eclipsing over 400 people that could have been in the position that he was appointed to. And the reason why they said that he was appointed to the position of leadership is that he did everything with excellence. He did it well. He was all in, even when he was in an insignificant role comparatively to the one who would be the commander of the U.S. forces in Europe. And so you, you look at this and you say, you know what, my faithfulness, even if it's in smaller matters, matters. And the price of admission in this context was just to be all in. I'm in. I, I'm in. Whatever you want, Lord. And this, this was a long obedience for them. This was one that meant that they're going to move their homes, their families, that they're going to choose to volunteer to do that. The, the text is, is interesting that in Hebrew, it literally uses this word very similar to the word that we say. We're just saying like, pick me. I'm in. Here I am. Send me. I'm volunteering. You, you need somebody? I'm in. I'm your guy. And they all did this. And then they had to cast lots to determine what percentage, that one in 10 that were going to be used so they chose to live open-handed lives, that they're volunteering to say, God, if you want to use us, use us however you want to use us. I love in scripture, Matthew 13, 44, Jesus describes a pearl of great price. He describes a treasure that's hidden in a field. And in both of those, he says that your faith is so precious to you. You ought to be willing to sell everything in order to experience the blessing of obedience to the Lord. And he has to tell that story to us, I think, in multiple ways because of the fact that for some of us, we just miss it, that it's, it's precious, it's so valuable, it's worth us being all in. In fact, those who choose to do it were honored. They were described as people of valor. They were described as being worthy of honor. I love these verses throughout the descriptions of those who repopulated the city, that they're described as individuals who are blessed because of their sacrifice. What I like is that God often works out the details of his promises through the mundane efforts of his people. And in that process, what we get to do is we get to be a part of the story of what God's doing in and through us. The price of admission for this is a beginning point of us saying, I'm going to take one step of obedience. I'm going to trust the Lord today. I'm going to trust him in the hours that follow this church service. I'm going to make that phone call. I'm going to choose to be all in when it comes to my job. I'm going to obey his leadership in my life. I don't know what he's asking of you, but what I do know is that he can and do miraculous things through what feels relatively mundane. 
that often it's God's choice to use. We think of Moses. We don't think of the thousands of people that he led, that each of them had to go through their own act of obedience. And I love this quote. It says, God can and does perform miracles on a grand scale, but more often he prefers to construct his promised future out of the mosaic of the ordinary, yet faithful, courageous, and sacrificial lives of his people. That's our story. That's what the church really gets the privilege of being, is ordinary people that we say, yeah, we're in. What do you got? Let's do it. So I don't know today what that looks like for you. I, I'm guessing for some of us, we're on a journey like my friend Dan. I think Allie and I can say this about our own lives, that we've had a journey that the Lord's been doing in our life. The price of admission is pretty high, but the blessing of following that leadership means that we move from just being a fan. I love you. I love you from a distance. But it's that we get to get in the boat with Christ. We get to join him together in what he's doing And we truly get to see him at work miraculously through what might feel like the mundane. So I'm going to ask you to join me and pray that, Lord, as we um, close out this message, I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And I want to pray for each and every individual that's here that we would be people that understand what it means to rest in you. I confess that I am a person who loves to have the plan, that wants to know the goals, that wants to have it laid out in front of me. And I believe, Lord, that you want to do a work of restoration in our lives. And part of the cost of that is daily obedience. I think every person in this room knows what it feels like for things not to go according to plan. And Lord, I pray for each individual here, some of which they're looking at their marriages, they're looking at their kids, they're looking at their story of their life, and they're going, man, this just doesn't feel like it's been according to my plan. Lord, I pray for them that they would be able to rest in you, that they would be able to trust that you have a plan that's at work and that you are the one that's worth obeying that we can trust you, that we can follow you. And I pray today for some that may have never done it before, that they would take that first small step of obedience that can lead to a lifetime of change for your glory. We love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.